Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Punk Rock MBA Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast, and today's guest, very excited to bring him on the show, Adam Elmakayas. Adam is one of the OGs of the whole like touring music photographer thing. He started out back in, I don't know, 2009 or something like that, went out with bands like Pierce the Veil and All Time Low and A Day to Remember and a billion other bands that you've heard of from that kind of Warped Tour world. Now everybody has a touring photographer that goes out with them on the road, but that was not always the case. And Adam is one of the people who laid the blueprint for that whole thing. So I was very excited to sit down and talk with him about how he did it, how that's changed over the years, whether gear matters, spoiler warning, it does not matter. (laughs) You can be a fantastic photographer with shitty gear and you can be a shitty photographer with great gear. We get into that, we talk about the importance of relationships, how to deal with difficult clients, how to manage your own psychology because that is one of the most difficult parts of being a creator is those ups and downs of feeling like you're on top of the world one day and then like you're a complete failure piece of shit the next day. We've all been there. So we talk about all that stuff and a bunch more. This is a really cool conversation. I'm genuinely very excited to do this one. So please check it out. Also, if you are interested in supporting the show, you can do that on Patreon. There's a link in the show notes. I would also like to thank our fantastic producer and editor, Deanna Chapman. If you would like to get a podcast started or if you already have an existing podcast and you just want to kind of level things up definitely hit her up there's a link to her site in the show notes and there are a couple small audio issues for the first like five minutes or so but just stick around uh those get resolved pretty quickly so apologies for that and with that out of the way let's get into it welcome to the podcast adam uh i last time we did a podcast a long time ago i got your name very wrong uh so i don't want to get it wrong again it's elma caius you got it right okay all right well we're off to a good start I'm happy about that. So, well, what's uh, what you, you are a photographer? What's been keeping you busy the past? I don't know. Since we haven't talked in quite a long time, what have you been busy with the past uh, six months or something? Yeah. So, well, I moved to LA. That was like a big deal for me because I was I was touring for a lot a long time, like ten plus years. So, I moved to LA with the intentions of creating a career that is more based on health and routine than uh, experiencing somebody else's extreme scenarios of life (laughs) which i do enjoy it was a great learning process but i was like all right my values have changed a little bit i need to switch it up a little bit more so come to la and kind of rebuild myself in a way you know it's it's hard to go from being like hey people i am constantly on tour to hey people i need to work (laughs) yeah well so are you one of these people i absolutely hate traveling i do not do well on the road at all are you one of the, well, obviously you're better at it than I am because you did it for 10 years, but it sounds like it kind of became a thing you didn't want to do anymore. I like aspects of it, but there's things that I want to do and there's goals I want to reach in my life that just aren't attainable with that schedule of living. And I kind of balanced out the pros and cons and really thought it through and was like, all right, well, what direction do I want to go in rather than, you know, I think for a while I was just like, this is the next thing I'm doing. So I'm doing that. But now I'm like, all right, I want to be a little more intentional about it. So kind of balanced it out and figured I am, I'm good at touring. I like to think so, but it was definitely a learned scale. It wasn't a natural scale. So are you not touring at all anymore or are you just doing it selectively or? I will do it if it makes sense for, like I will do it if there's a goal. So I'll do it if there is a goal of like creating a book or creating a product or something like that, but I won't do it with the goal of just creating content, if that makes sense. Got it. So whereas in the past, you would be the person that goes out on the road with them and every day you drop back them 20 images or whatever the number is, whereas now you're only going out if like, okay, we're going to make this thing. And part of that means I'm going to be on the road with you for a while. Yeah. So something, if something more goes towards the, the side of 
of the spectrum that is like creating art or creating the product or doing something a little more intentional than rather than being like, hey, anything that happens, capture it and then we're going to use it the next day and then we're never going to talk about it again. Right, right. That makes sense. You were fairly, at least tell me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like you were fairly early to that kind of being the touring photographer that makes the daily content kind of thing. There's a lot of people doing that now. Uh, I feel like at least in our world, you were one of the first to do that in the way that people think of it now. Uh, Is that true or am I just behind the curve? No, I think, I mean, I like to think it's accurate and maybe I'm, like, at least through my experience, when I started touring, my job didn't really exist or like the content job didn't exist. When I started touring, I might actually, my main goal was to go on tour and I wasn't even creating daily content. I was just trying to do photo shoots for publications or photo shoots for the band while they're on the road. And I started doing like the daily photos just for fun. Cause you got a camera. What else are you going to do all day? I have a camera. I have no point. Like, I mean, there was, there was definitely times where I would just not do anything. I would just hang out and wait for the next photo shoot. And then I remember like, the first time when I was like, wow, I could, I was shooting for myself in my own blogs. But I always remember this time when I was in Europe. It was the first time I went there. I think, yeah, it was the first time I went there with the day to remember. And it was the first time they had had a photographer with them. And at least in Europe or, and I remember Alex, the drummer, crawling in my bunk at night while I'm editing photos. And be like, hey, let me get some images from today. And I was like, what are you going to do with them? He's like, I don't want to send them to my family. Like Twitter and Instagram weren't really a thing back then. We had MySpaces, but it didn't really matter if you posted content like that. And so I was like, no, I'll send them to you at the end of tour after I edit them all. Like I'm just downloading them right now. But he was kind of like my annoying little brother, even though we were pretty much the same age. Man, it's, it's crazy that even being as young as you are, that the job has changed that much since you started doing it. Because the idea of not sending the, the images until the tour is over now is insane. Yeah. Like now it's like, I think that the job has both changed and been like reconstructed because I don't, I don't think the job that it is today is what even existed then, to be honest. Like, I think it is just because it's such an internet based thing that it grows so fast and so crazy. And now, I mean, I used to be like, I would say the first crew member you would get would be like, I don't know, a tour manager and a merch person. Now it's definitely your media person. That is probably before you get texts or anything. It's more important you look good than sound good. So it's kind of true, though, because there's going to be however many hundreds of people or or thousands of people, whatever, at the show. But then there's going to be 10 or 100 times that many people that see the content from the show. And so obviously I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious, but it's it's kind of true that it is more important in some ways that you look good. No, yeah, I definitely agree. And it's, it's important because it also is like, long term like the people will see at the show that night and it's good because that's how you get your real fans but people go to your instagram all the time whether it be that day or the next day or 10 days from now like that content is used constantly i think it almost reflects that the job of an artist has changed too from being a musician who sometimes talks about you know music on their social media to now it's almost like the job is to be an influencer that also makes music yeah that is true. And as we're getting deep, we're going down. That is, or we're not necessarily down, we're going deep though. Yeah, that's true. That's a great take on it. <laughs> You're right. I mean, for better or for worse, you know, I mean, there's upsides and downsides to that, but that's just the reality of what it is now, I think. Yeah. And I, I definitely agree that I try my best to never be like, this is bad. I always try to be like, well, this is the way it's going. What can we do with this? And how cool is that? That like, I don't know. I kind of relate it to, and maybe you can relate. I know you do more of the music side, but in photography world, there's the the equivalent of this is people are like, anybody can be a photographer. Now all you have to do is get a camera. And it's often said as such a negative thing. And I'm like, how cool is that? <laughs> like, like that is so cool to me. Like everybody can be a Dude, photographer. That is awesome. I'm old enough that I remember when digital started to become viable. Yeah. My old boss, a guy named Chase Jarvis, who's a pretty well-known photographer in kind of the commercial world, was one of the first people to really embrace digital Mm -hmm. and especially to embrace mobile. He published a book of iPhone photos in maybe 2008 or nine or something really early uh, as it's called. The uh, best camera, meaning the best camera is the one that you have with you. Yeah. And the whole point of it is exactly what you're saying. It's like, dude, anybody can be a photographer. And yeah, maybe, you know, there's sort of some technical limitations to what certain devices can do. Like, obviously, you're not going to shoot a billboard campaign on an iPhone 3, but <laughs> you can tell a story with whatever you have. And, yeah. And that's awesome. And 
you know, the idea that like people say that photography died because of digital or whatever. I'm like, are you insane? Like photography is like literally 10,000 or maybe even like a million times more popular than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. Because everyone's got like a pretty damn good camera in their pocket. And I totally know it. I remember when I was starting was right around when digital was picking up and kind of along the same lines. I remember people giving me a hard time for using digital because they were film photographers and they felt like it was the wrong thing. And I just remember how bad that felt. And I just, from that day, promised to never become that old jaded person. So no matter what people are doing, what the new wave thing is, I never, I try to like be like, you can't like go against what's changing naturally. The genie's out of the bottle. That, yes, that's a good way to say it. Genie, oh, good movie, Aladdin too, love that. <laughs> but yes, that is exactly how I feel, I agree. And there was a point at which the primary barrier to being a photographer or to to becoming successful as a photographer, a lot of it was about how much money could you invest in gear. And now that's no longer the case. It's about how good are you at telling a story and getting along with people, which is how it should be. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that is why that people who did photography before might be upset is because they can no longer be a bad photographer. They have to be like, <laughs> right. they can no longer be successful and be like, they have to like the, the level, the entry level is so minimal now. You don't have to, there's not anything you have to get over. You just have to get the camera and now you can do it. So the barrier of entry or whatever you want to call that is lower floor ceiling. I get the terms confused. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> whatever we get the point everyone can be a photographer and that's awesome yeah let me uh i want to ask you a couple questions about that or or kind of about the storytelling part of it because that's a, a thing that i've thought about for a long time but have really 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 been thinking about recently is I, I think there's a lot of people who geek out about lenses and editing techniques and all that kind of stuff that's fun and don't think at all about the storytelling part and so to me, that's a person who takes a technically good photograph that says nothing. And, and I'm not trying to be critical of those people. It's just like, I feel like in the creative world, whether that's, you know, recording or design or photography or whatever, like there's a tendency to geek out over the technical stuff, you know, almost to the point where nobody thinks about what you're actually trying to say. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Like a good photo is something that, you know, something's happening before it, something's happening after it, and you're capturing the story in the middle or wherever you're at, and somebody can kind of see those things by looking at your image. And I agree that people get lost in the, the technical aspect. And I, it's kind of cool, though. Like you go to like a site like Flickr, 500 pics, and you see, you can see like thousands of images of just perfect light and perfect everything. I'm like, wow, how do I ever get hired? There's all these people that are honestly doing things better than I can. <laughs> And it's, it's, yeah, it's about, it's like about who you know, and it's about how you tell a story and it's how you work with people. And it's about, you know, anybody can take these photos. It's just a matter of who's seeing your photo that's going to hire you. And I would go ahead and say, I kind of got lost with your question here, but feel free to like, reroute me. But that's where my mind went. And by the time I finished saying it, I was like, what did he ask me? No, well, I, I didn't do a very good job of asking the question. <laughs> I guess, I guess to be specific, like what would you say to somebody like a photographer who's starting out that wants to do this professionally and they think that the answer is in learning how to use their gear to the nth degree and nerding out about all that and trying to get the latest and greatest stuff and use it to the best of their ability. And maybe they're not thinking too much about what they're trying to actually say. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. For me, I tell people like my, my like saying is I'm like, just learn the photography along the way, <laughs> you know, just learn it as you go, because the things that like, that is the easy part to be quite honest. And that will grow with you. Your, everything will grow naturally. Like as long as you keep shooting, as long as you keep doing that, it'll, it'll come along the way. The, the stuff that we'll really get hung up on and that takes a long time is the networking aspect and the business skills and all these skills you have to learn that you don't know you need to learn yet. That's just like, a, it's just a huge pile of stuff right there. And Correct me if I'm wrong, but you weren't necessarily the most like technically experienced photographer at the beginning, right? I would say that still stands true today. Yeah. I'm not very technical and it's whether it's intentional or not. I just like I hit up I have friends who are good at that stuff. So I hit them up when I when it's relevant. But more often than not, it doesn't I don't know much. I look back at stuff that I thought was good when I was shooting it. I'm like, this is not good. And I'll probably look back at the stuff I shot today and think that same thing eventually. But, you're, you know, if you you can still if you can convince other people and not in like a deceitful way, but if you believe in yourself and you want to get hired and you will do your best job you can, like you are going to get hired. And you, if you work with people, you know, 
show up on time, you're a good person. Like all those things matter so much more than like how much you understand your lens or what new gear you have. Your clients don't know the diff. They can't tell for the most part, you know? So like, you know, with Chase, with my old boss, he is a very technically good photographer, but there's lots of other people that could do the same images that he could. You know, that's just a, a, a learned skill. But the thing that makes Chase special is he's very, very, very good at selling the creative vision to the people who write the checks. And so the reason you hire him is because you know that he will come in and convince your boss, the creative director, whoever, that this is the direction to take. And then, of course, he will execute it really well. But like that's his superpower is being able to sell the vision to everybody involved. And that's a thing that, you know, is maybe non-obvious, but is way more rare than being a good camera operator. Yes, I agree. And it's taken me a long time to even understand that. It's like, oh, you have to like sell these ideas to people and get excited about them and really fully invest and go in and be ready to like, you know, put your all into it and still have somebody say no. Like it's a vulnerable place to exist in. So I get why not many people do it. But yeah, it does take like, you really have to believe in what you're doing. Let's get specific on that. I think you uh, were one of the first to do a lot of these kind of, I don't know if highly produced is the right word, but I'm thinking about like that one shoot you did for a day to remember a long time ago. They were wearing like safari outfits or something <laughs> like that. Do, do, do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, I was in like, Florida. Like you were one of the first people to do that in our world. Uh-huh. How do you convince everybody to do that or t- tell us how that came that sort of thing came to be those sort of shoots and like what was a moment where there was somebody who wasn't really on board with it and you and you had to persuade them yeah you know i wish back then that i got to do more of those shoots than i did because i feel like i kind of caught the end cusp of that world of what concept do you make with your band and that helps you get big but the people who were doing it back then were Tim Harmon and Dave Hill and Tim Harmon was more from like alternative press world and Dave Hill was more from a commercial world but they both photographed for alt press and that was like initially what inspired me to be a photographer so it's like oh this is cool and like the actual setup of the photo shoots isn't that difficult when you get down to it it just involves like basically shooting with one big softbox with the sunlight behind you so it gives this kind of other world look and then editing a certain way and then after you can do that then yeah you have to sell the idea and to be honest that shoot itself it was just me like I wish I had that ignorance sometimes where I was like there's I didn't I just kind of went into it I was like this is what we're gonna do and that thing came together so last minute like it really just involved like hey Josh put this hat on okay like we bought those clothes that day I washed the boots off in my hotel bathtub so that we could return them and then the alligator park I called the night before and they're like sure come in and we just get like kind of paid them with like signed posters and merch you know it was like very we just went with it and we just kind of dove in and went for it and it was just it was like a really an all me kind of thing on that because I just really wanted to do it there wasn't the budget for it the management and label never really actually had the vision or wanted to do those things i always had to come to him and be like let's do this you know and i think it was just because i was so excited and you know honestly that is one of my favorite photo shoots and thinking back i was like that was 2010 i think and i was i'm actually surprised that we pulled that off at that time given our circum situation <laughs> and it's unfortunate but the current day is like people don't really do those setups anymore because i don't think they need to it was more of like a fad back then and it's kind of maybe we got to bring it back maybe mm-hmm. we got to start doing them but people don't do them as much anymore as they used to maybe because they have to create the content so fast i'm not sure yeah and I, I almost feel like that might feel like inauthentic now or something like we live yeah. in a world now where it's really about authenticity and like especially that era of like you know of alternative rock or whatever you want to call it was way less obsessed with authenticity when, than we are now. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, now it's like you got to learn how to use the camera that runs on VHS and film. You can't, you, know, you have to like, <laughs> right. it's almost like forced authenticity. Like it seems to be what people want. It's just like, make sure that people know this is real. Right, right. But it, it's kind of true though. Like with memes, for example, like the ones that look shitty do better. Yeah. Like, It's very interesting. And I think it's because, you know, we as a society went through several decades of production values getting better and better and better and better in the in the context of like advertising. And so we started to associate like high production values with somebody trying to sell me shit. 
Yeah, no, that you makes know? sense. Yeah, it felt it felt like not real, or it felt like like you're saying inauthentic, or like they have an ulterior motive. So when you're doing this stuff that is, you know, it takes doesn't take that long for people to catch on and switch it up. And yeah, you're totally right. Dang, I'm learning a lot from you. All right, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's it, but but the funny part is. The contrived authenticity is just as manufactured. Yeah. You know, it's just, you just have to, you know, convince people that uh, it, it's just such a funny game you have to play of like convincing people that this is authentic. Yeah. And, and it's like, especially now, I feel like kids are so cynical. They just don't believe anything you say. Yeah. Like, no, that's true. You're just like, dude, trust me. Like, I'm telling you, this, this is what happened. I have no reason to lie to you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I look up everything anyway also too. But you know, I had a big learning just because I was telling you I live with uh, Fatsy Young Burial and he is like a solo artist and makes everything on his own. And I didn't understand, like I guess I would explain the music videos I had seen before as like, I almost looked at them as like shitty high school art projects. And I was like, why the hell do people like this stuff? I don't get it. That's why. But then I saw him shoot it all on his own edit it all on his own, make the music, cut the video, do it all on his own. And he actually did it all. And I was like, all right, I give a shit. You put your heart and soul into this. And I get why people like this is because they know that when they're looking at this, somebody took the time to make every moment of it. And nothing is, they're not being lied to about anything, whether it's the lyrics, the music or the visuals, everything is fully packaged from that artist. And I was like, oh, I get it. But it took me living in LA living with somebody and seeing every step of the process and talking with them about it to understand it. And I wish it didn't, but now I kind of get it. So it took me a bit, but. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that because that's the same reaction that I had at first. And after seeing, I basically had the same thing that you did. I was like, at first I was like, this looks like shit. And then I watched a couple more of them and it just really connected to me emotionally. And it's it's for the reason that you said, you know, on a big video, there's somebody working on that, at least at least a couple people working on that that don't really give a shit about it in some place or another in the process, whether that's the editor or the colorist or the yeah. whatever. There's somebody involved with this that is just doing it because it's Paycheck. their job. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that comes through in the end product. Whereas when you're the stuff you're talking about, you know, so for anybody listening that's not familiar, Fatsy is, you know, one of these quote unquote emo rappers. He's one of my favorite ones. I I love his stuff. Check it out. It's a F-A-T-S apostrophe E. Um, uh, but I find that whole scene so inspirational because it's what you said. You can tell that every single moment of that, like was was created with passion. Yeah. And I think that comes through that trumps production that trumps everything else like if people can feel the passion they connect with it yeah I, I, yeah and i don't know if that traces back to like what you're saying like they just want to feel that realness they want to feel the emotion they want to see feel and i don't know they don't want to be lied to they want the real stuff they and yeah i think that you're tapping into it there i'm so happy you know who he is like he i know that you know who he is but it makes me so happy <laughs> Yeah, dude, I that scene, I mean, obviously, I'm way too old to be the target audience for that stuff. Um, so I'm not trying to be like cool dad hanging out with the kids. But I, I find it very inspiring because it's just it's the same thing as the MySpace bands were, you know, 10 years ago or the, you know, hardcore bands that I went to see in basements 10 years before that and, you know, whatever. It's like at any given moment in time, there are kids making raw, real shit in their basements. And I'm interested in that at whatever, whatever form that takes at the current moment, I'm interested in it. Yo, and I remember moments of realization in my life where I was both with the recipient of the predecessor hating on the current version of it. And then with as I lived with the people who were once the people, you know, who were being hated on and became the haters, I was like, don't mm -hmm. you guys see, like, you were these people before. Like, <laughs> how do you not realize, like, this is when we went on Warp Tour in 2009 and, you know, bands like Less Than Jake were really nice to you, but then you had bands, like, that were just jaded and were mad that they weren't doing well and were mean. I was like, don't become them. Support these people. Even yeah. if you don't understand it, like, the reason you don't like it is because you're not the target market. That doesn't make it any less beautiful or any less authentic or any less meaningful like just because you don't like it doesn't mean it isn't good and i wish and i hope that the bands that i toured with that have now been going for 10 years you know accept these people and like them and support them because they're 
their fans. They're these people who grew up listening to them. And this is what they're making now. And they're mostly inspired by these Warped Tour bands, in my opinion. Well, speaking of which, one thing I wanted to talk to you about is staying relevant. So, you know, your roots, I think, are in that kind of Warped Tour scene, the like late 2000s MySpace kind of generation, like a day to remember and all those bands. And I've seen you working with some like more mainstream artists now, like, you know, you had like Diplo and Waka Flocka and stuff <laughs> on your Instagram recently. Can you talk about like, this kind of a double-edged sword. Anytime you're so closely tied to any particular, you know, scene or community, it gives you a boost, but it can also mean that you know, you can become dated. Like, can you just talk about how like you are staying relevant? I don't know if I am, <laughs> but <laughs> I guess my thought process having to do with that is I went pretty, I would say that like four or five years ago, like I was pretty relevant based on like what was big then. When I was touring with like Pierce Savale, I did remember all time low, like all these bands had really big followers. They were arguably really big back then, maybe even bigger than they are now. And you know, that was like a pretty, I just basically had to recognize that there's a group of people that are following me because of who I work with, not because of who I am. That is just, that is the real of it. But there's also a small group of people that are following me because of who I am. And those are the people that I think I want to remain relevant to. So in my opinion, if I can take a few people who are fans of these bands, that's why they started following me. That's cool. But at a core, I want to be a photographer and a teacher. So for me to stay relevant, I want to stay inspiring and a good role model and lead like a healthy lifestyle that I can kind of teach and help communicate to people who are interested in being photographers or creatives or anything like that. So I guess for me in my head back then, I guess I would have thought that it was more about working with who is popular. But now I've kind of um, at the to be, a, I guess I'm a little bit, um, I don't know what to call it. I would call it like smaller or less popular. I don't know what to phrase it as. All of the things make me feel uncomfortable saying, but something like that, a little bit less, but the people who follow me care a lot more. And I'm I'm kind of rebuilding in a mm -hmm. way where I'm rebranding myself. You know, I used to be more of like touring music photographer, really closely attached with these bands, but I identified that then my career was basically re relied on who would take me on tour. Like I don't really have any control over that. Like somebody could say no and that could be devastating for me. So I my goal over the past few years, I took a few years off because I had some life to rework but after i moved to la and all this stuff is now i want people to follow me because of what i'm doing or who i am or what i create regardless of what artist i'm working with i want them to be like oh i'm looking at this photograph because adam took it not because all time low or somebody anybody is in it and so that's kind of been my like rebrand of how to stay relevant is make sure that i'm in control of uh, my career or making it so you know i'm creating the content not uh, i'm with a data member creating their content so you're following me and I guess that's, I don't know, does that kind of make sense? And maybe you can break that down in a way that makes more sense to me than I make to myself, but. <laughs> no, dude, that makes total sense. Okay. My question would be, was there a moment, or, or maybe there wasn't, but for a lot of people, I think there might be a moment where your ego struggles with that, you know, to go, well, there's a lot of people, you know, yeah, I've got a billion people liking my photos, but it's not because I took it. It's because so-and-so is in it. And that might be hard for some people's ego to handle. Did that happen for you or or no? Yeah, I mean, I honestly had like my ego rocked for, I would say there was like a certain period of my life where maybe like from high school to mid 2014, 15, where I kind of just did what was ever was next. And it never really occurred to me like, hey, this won't last forever. Like I knew that in the back of my head, but I just kept going with it, I kept growing and getting bigger. And then it got to a point where I was like, I don't think I can handle this. Like I just can't handle like it's like I always think about like it's really hard when you have like, you know, maybe one of your friends tells you like, oh, you're stupid or something. And you're like, I, I might I don't think I'm stupid. This one person's probably wrong. But then, like Two of your friends tell you you're stupid. I might be stupid. But then you have like 100 people at once telling you you're stupid. And I'm just using stupid for keeping it simple. Nobody actually did this, but it gets really difficult. And that works in both ways, whether it be compliments or um, um, negative things. So maintaining like the internet ego was too hard for me, honestly. And I was happy that it kind of, I became, you know, less popular or whatnot because it was just so unhealthy. I couldn't do it. My ego wasn't necessarily big, but it wasn't uh, consistent. Like it would fluctuate so much because I was adjusting myself based on this like over this collective input from all these people that I've never met. And it was so difficult to maintain that lifestyle. So 
from 2015 to 2017, I kind of learned about that and kind of understood it and was like, all right, maybe this isn't the, I don't know if this is me even addressing my ego. Maybe I'm just like totally changing this. Is this, is this, I don't know, am I answering this incorrectly or accurately? Yeah, go on. This is great. Okay, cool. <laughs> As I'm talking, I'm like, I think I'm just on a tangent. No, no, no. This is this is exactly what I want to talk about. This is like self-awareness yeah. and understanding how to like monitor and adjust your own psychology, which is the hardest part of this whole thing. Like yeah. learning how to use a camera, you just spend enough time doing that and you'll figure it out. Like yeah. learning how to use your brain is way harder. Yeah. Um, and it is the kind of the part of me that I was like, I wish I went to school just to learn how to think critically earlier. But yeah, so then 2017 to 2019, now we're in early 2020, was kind of like a time where I just took a step back and really adjusted. And I was lucky and fortunate enough to be in a situation financially because I had worked so hard to kind of give myself that break and recognize that like, hey, if you just keep going with this, like you're going to end up like these people that you see on the road that are burned out or these people that are jaded, like you need to be healthier you need to be take care of yourself you need to be researching these things just because nobody's telling you them like you need to take accountability for it so i kind of kind of took a step back and really focused on like what do i want to do who do i want i've always wanted to be a teacher and i love psychology i love working with people helping people and i wanted to figure out how i could do that better and it meant I don't know. Have you toured? I don't know. No, just like short, you know, a few days here and there and stuff, but never longer than that. I, I fucking hate travel, so <laughs> I have absolutely never had any desire to do that. Yeah, it's it's just really rough. Like you, you go through these like extreme versions of life with no consistency or no routine. I mean, you have a routine, but it's really laid out for you. So I had to like go home and learn how to grocery I, shop. I did spend about four months in China and Korea uh, for work and kind of got a taste of that. Same thing. It's like, okay, get up, go to the factory, come back, do this, repeat for four months. Yeah. It's kind of, and then, so like you come home and you're like, wow, I have all this free time. What do I do? Nobody's telling me what to do. So I had to like really self assign a lot of things and, you know, learn how to grocery shop, learn how to live, learn how to exist. And that just took me way, way longer than I thought it was going to take me because I never knew all these things I had to learn. I didn't even know what I needed to learn. So I had to figure that out first. And, you know, all my friends tour. So <laughs> you can't like talk to the, like a lot of my friends are in bands and they tour and they live lives that are really quite honestly, like unrelatable on a lot of levels. Like, sure, we can talk about how it sucks to be home, but no, they make a lot more money than me. And uh, I would argue that I, I don't put in the same amount of work music wise, but when we're on the road, I do work with them constantly. You know, I'm working just as much as they are in regards to staying active for whatever, 16 hours a day with them. Uh, do a different job than them, but uh, you know, it's not like I have, uh, so I have to find other ways to kind of make my life work. And that that's kind of where I've been, I've been at for two years, I would say. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like 
dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. You hit on a couple things there, I mean, that are super interesting to me, one of which is the music world is very different than, you know, the quote unquote real world. And there's a lot of things that you learn that make you successful in the real world that don't necessarily, I'm sorry, in the music world that don't necessarily translate into the real world. And I've seen that be a difficult adjustment for some people, you know, people who were in a band until they were 31 or something like that. And then they basically have to go through the same thing you did. And it's tough. Yeah, no, that's a good way to think about it. Only the difference is you have a marketable skill and they don't like they played bass for 15 years and not to be rude, but that's just not a thing anybody cares about outside the music world. Yeah, that's true. That is true. That's a good way to I will never I even though I think a lot, that's not necessarily something I've thought. But I did have a, you know, I can't imagine what it's like to be in a band that isn't doing very well and then having to come to terms with the fact that you need to bail on your four best friends now to go make better decisions for your life and theoretically start all over. Like that must be the hardest thing ever. I yeah. can't even imagine. I mean, quitting all time low is one thing. Quitting your shitty you know, regional band that never made any money is is way worse because yeah. <laughs> you're going out on a low note. You have to admit, you have to come to terms with, you know, I'm sure there's the feeling of the first feeling of, oh, did I waste my life? And then you have the uh, you have to address the sunk cost and be like, all right, I got to make the decision based on where I'm at, not what I've done. And I'm sure it's a very difficult thought process even just to begin having. Well, let's talk about teaching because that's the thing that I have realized I am actually very passionate about too. I've worked in online education for the past seven years, which I never intended to do. It just sort of happened. Uh, and I really, really, really like it because it's a way that you can very tangibly help people, you know, achieve something and be happier by teaching them a skill mm -hmm. that could really change your life. Yeah. Can you talk about how you realized you were passionate about that and kind of what you're doing with education? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've always known that I love teaching since I was... Well, I, I've always loved psychology and teaching. And I say that because I love working with people on their feelings and I love working with people on their goals. And I feel that I am very good at encouraging people to move towards them and fully committing. And whether it be like on a small level when I started with my best friends or my family or on a, on a bigger level to people that follow me online, like I really do enjoy that because it's pretty rewarding to be part of somebody's journey. Like it's a pretty... It's so fun. And it took me a while to have that, to start feeling those things come back to me because, you know, you teach somebody, it's not like all of a sudden now they're the best photographer ever, but it takes, you know, a few years to kind of start getting that feeling. And once you get it going, it's hard to, hard to stop. But I don't know. I, it, that's like the selfish side of it. The, <laughs> the side that I really like the most is when you teach, you're also learning so much while you're doing it. And I'm also obsessed with learning as I'm sure you are as well, or we probably wouldn't be here talking. And when I teach, I find I learn so much that I either forgot I learned at one point or I didn't even know at all, or I have to learn something more thoroughly. So it's really just almost like, I don't know. It always, how do I explain it? I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I was talking with my friend the other day and he was like, it always blew my mind when somebody came up to me. They're like, don't you just get bored shooting the same show over and over? And I was like, I don't do that. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I do on a base level. I'm shooting the same show over and over, but it's just the same as, 
I don't know, somebody who makes sushi every day or anything. Like they're not just making sushi every day. They're for me, you know, I'm working on getting this certain shot or doing this skill better. Like there's hundreds of things I'm working on every day. I'm not doing the same thing ever over and over. And that's how I feel about teaching. It's like, I want to teach people about all these little things that I've discovered that I've learned. And I want to kind of help them along their paths to finding those details that they want to explore. And I don't know, like you said, it's, it's fun. I don't know. What do you, I mean, what do you think about it? Why do you like it so much? Well, I just think about how, like all those moments where I was just beating my head against the wall, like feeling like I was stuck in life and I was just not ever going to get where I wanted to go. Yeah. And like how just shitty that felt, you yeah. know, I was just like, felt very defeated because I wanted to do this thing and I kept trying and it wasn't going. I felt like it wasn't going anywhere and I didn't really know how to get around or over or through whatever these barriers were. And if I'm ever able to help somebody get past that moment, that makes me happy because I just think about how fucking awful it was for me. And, you know, just to help have to, if, if you can help somebody have that aha moment, like Dude, yeah. that feels awesome to me. So I guess ultimately maybe I'm just being selfish. <laughs> maybe I'm only doing it because it makes me feel good, but no, you're so well articulated. I think that that that's a great point. And I like hearing you talk because it brings so many things back to me. Like I can relate to that. Like when I was, on my first tour, somebody kind of made me have that aha moment where I was like, oh, this feels really good. Like I didn't really, I had some supportive people when I was growing up, like credit to them. There was a few really good people who helped me out. But there was this guy, Tim Harmon, who was a photographer before me and I idolized him. I look, you know, I copied his website. I wanted to shoot images like him. He shot for alt press. I wanted to do that. And I remember my first tour, we were in Arizona. I was like, Tim, I'm where you're from. Like, would you come meet up with me? And I think I was like 18 or 19. And he came to the venue and he sat outside of his church or whatever we were playing at on the hot Arizona gravel. And he talked with me for like an hour. And I was like, holy crap, this dude cares. And I just remember like how little of an investment it took from him for him to totally rock my world. Because here it is however many years later and you still remember it. Yeah, I still remember that. And his reason he did that is the reason I'll respond to every email I get, every message I get. Like that is because I want to be that person for as many people as I have and as I can. And it's a good feeling. And I don't know if you can make somebody else feel good while doing something that you feel is uh, proactive and moving you forward in life at the same time. Like that's, I don't know. I love Mr. Rogers, and that's basically what he did with his whole life. So if I can be anything close to a sliver of what he did, that would make my life come true. So The scene, Mr. Rogers. Well, one thing you're doing that I thought was interesting uh, is your Twitch editing challenge thing. Can you explain that? I wish I could. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I don't know about you, but a lot of things I do, I kind of just like figure out little things that work one at a time. And you're seeing me piece it together right now and it's been years. Like I did a, a photo contest years ago called Be a Photographer and I was doing like real life meetups and meeting up with people and I kind of would do it for a year or two. And then I stopped doing it because I took some time off. And now this is kind of the resurgence of me trying to, first of all, prove to myself that I can create content on a consistent basis and learn constantly because I feel like I need that healthy routine. But yeah, so what I'm doing is releasing my raw and basically for me, that's like a way of being like, here, here's something that I work on. Here's proof that you can do this. And I am going to give you my raw image and you can edit it. And then people basically turn their edited image back in and I go over a few of them and kind of critique them and help them out. And just for anybody who hasn't seen it, I'm looking at it here. You've, you've on your website, you've got seven weeks of it now. You've got the main Greta Van Fleet, Five Seconds of Summer, 21 Pilots, Churches, Austin from water parks and all time low images. So these are cool images. This isn't like, you know, a plant in your backyard. Not that there's anything wrong with that, <laughs> but you know, it's cool shit that you're giving people, you know, access to, which they probably have never, you know, it's not like you could go get a pro photographer's raw image of Austin night before. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I think there's something to be said, like some professionals won't release the raw images. They won't show their unedited images. I think that's so weak. Like, what do you have to hide? I don't know, but people won't even tell other people how they edit. And I'm just like a big, like, I'm like, oh, every other photographer won't do this or all the people that 
I probably don't agree with them on other levels either. Like, I want to be the opposite. I want to... Like, what's the fucking secret? Like, you use Lightroom or Photoshop and curves and shit. It's like... Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like an insecurity (laughs) of their own, basically, job situation. Like, if you're ever pushing somebody else down to build yourself up, you're pretty much in the wrong state of mind to begin with. So I don't know where they're at, but I don't want to ever be there. And my idea is that I just want to help people get better. And this was an easy way. I used to do the contest where people would have to go out and shoot and then edit the image. And this was an easy way where people could do it no matter what their lifestyle was, right? I'm giving them the photo. All they have to do is download it and edit it. Something they can do from home. They can get free editing software if they want. And it's inclusive. And my goal is to develop a community where everybody's kind of working with each other, responding to each other and connecting people, bringing them together. Because I I want to help people notice how easy it is to leave a comment and how effective it is to help somebody else along their path. So hopefully it catches on more and more. And yeah, all I have are music images, so I can't give them anything else. <laughs> that's all I shoot. So that's all. That's what I can give them. But people like them, so it's fun. Yeah, that's cool. What, so what are some of the more interesting, you know, reactions or interactions you've had as part of that thing? You know, I love like the Twitch. I Basically, what I do is I do my own video. I've just developed kind of the formula now. It's taken me a bit to kind of flesh it out. You know, I'll figure out the wrong ways to do stuff all 100 of them before I figure out one right way. So right now it's release an image, then a week later I post my edited version in a video, critique like four of my favorites, and then release next week's image in, image. And after I do that on YouTube, I go live on Twitch and we discuss anybody's photos that maybe didn't get in the video that they want to come and talk about. And then from there, um, yeah, so the cool part is, is it's just seeing all these different skill levels and people kind of going outside of their comfort zone or saying, you know, I edited something I've never edited before. Thank you for giving me an image I could never even have access to shoot or realizing that, hey, maybe I am just, you know, sometimes people just want direction. They want to know what they're doing is the right thing they're doing. So a lot of people have been like, oh, I could take a photo like this and I can edit mm-hmm. like this. Like I can do this too. Yeah, like my RAWs don't look that different from yours. Like, I'm not that far off. Yeah, and I think that's nice because a lot of the times you're like, dang, how does this person do that? And you think there's some, like, magical something that is unattainable, but really, you could do it too. And I don't know, I kind of of think that a lot of people go to comparing themselves to other people and they think, hey, you know, I compare myself to other people and that's a bad thing. But I honestly think this is proof that sometimes comparing yourself is a good thing It's just what you do with that comparison that's important. If you compare yourself and say, hey, this is something I can do too, that's a good way to compare yourself. If you compare yourself and say, I'm never going to get there like, and push yourself down, that's bad. But the problem here isn't that you're comparing yourself. The problem here is what you're doing with that information. So I would never deny myself more information. That's great. But just make sure you're smart with how you use it. And I hope that I can help kind of guide people on that. Again, going back to what we were talking about before is like, I think a huge, huge part of being a creator is understanding how to, you know, control your own psychology because creators are inherently emotionally invested in their work. I mean, that's that's just the way it works. Like you can't do good work if you're not emotionally invested in it, right? Like if you, you know, showed up to a shoot that you didn't give a fuck about, like no matter how hard you tried to phone it in, you would be phoning it in and you wouldn't be doing your best work. Yeah. Right? So you have to be emotionally invested in it, but you also have to manage that because that can take you to really dark, shitty places too if you if you let it. And I think comparison is so like it's it's exactly what you said. It's like such an important part of being a creator, but you really have to be careful to do it the right way because it's very easy to make yourself feel like shit. And like the way I think about it personally is that you should I think it's vital that you compare your work to other people's work because that's how you just learn to get better at your craft. But you should not compare your worth as a human to theirs because that's that doesn't make sense. You know, like what can I learn from the way Adam or whoever else edits? That's good. Like, oh, Adam's better at editing than I am. Therefore, I'm garbage, not constructive. Yeah, right. No, that's a great way to say it. I like the worst part of that. I'm definitely going to keep that one. Especially because no matter who you are, there's somebody that's better at something than you are. Yeah, you can always find a way to make yourself feel bad about something if you want to. I just don't advise it. (laughs) I'm great at it. Trust me. (laughs) Right? I've mastered that skill. I'd say like there is a point or there is a place for that of just like getting your ass kicked 
with <laughs> a brutal comparison that makes you realize you're not nearly as good as you thought you were. Knock yeah. yourself down a peg. There's a place for that. Um, but again, it's what do you do with it? You know, I mean, I do jujitsu and like, I mean, I did it earlier today. I got fucking smashed yeah. for like, you know, 15 minutes by one of my training partners and it fucking sucked and it's humiliating. And when I'm done, it makes me want to just like, what the fuck am I even doing here? But I'm going to show up on Thursday and roll with him again, you know, and it's just like, get back in the ring. What else do you do? You know, and I think learning to develop you know, that resilience is an important part, especially because when, when you're dealing with clients, you know, not all, I mean, there's, there's, so there's the layer of dealing with your own feedback, but then there's also dealing with clients and some of them are not gentle. Uh, I don't know Have you, you know, a lot of people you work with are your friends, uh-huh. but I'm sure there's been some times where you got some not so gentle feedback. Can you talk about that at all? I mean, obviously not naming names, but how, how you've, how you've handled that. Yeah, I usually just stop working with people. <laughs> I mean, when somebody is like not, <laughs> no, I'm, I, I, I think like a big important part here that it kind of roots back to a, something I learned really early on is to make sure you separate yourself from your work. So it's hard when something is so personal to do that. But when somebody is critiquing your work or what you're doing or your job, it's very important that what you do, like we said with comparing, it's what you do with that information. So when somebody says, Adam, this photo is really good. That doesn't mean I'm a good person. Or somebody says, Adam, this photo is really bad. That doesn't mean I'm a bad person. In fact, it means nothing about me as a person at all. And you really have to kind of separate those things. And then once you do that, it allows you to grow. Because if somebody's saying, hey, this is a bad photo, and now you just feel like you're a bad person, well, you're taking it to the wrong level, right? You're you're adjusting or retuning the wrong area of what you should be working on. So if somebody is actually critiquing my work, that's great. I can respond to that. I can work with them, everything. If somebody actually comes at me on a personal level where they're saying this isn't a, something that you did wrong, this is something that you are that's wrong, then that is something that I will adjust how or who I am working with because that is not the type of people I usually work with. Uh, I can Personally, I can pretty much take anything when it comes to somebody saying something about my work. Like that is, I think that is a skill that I developed over the years and it takes a lot of practice but it's a good one to work on. And I'm confident to say like everybody could start telling me my work sucks and I'd still be okay with, with, with me as a human being. I wouldn't like question my own, you know, being, but, uh, I don't know. Does that, do you kind of relate to that? Does that make sense? I don't, I don't know where you're at on that vibe, but totally. Yeah. I mean, there are times in which some people, you know, you're trapped cause you really need the money and you can't tell someone to fuck off, but yes, or I shouldn't, you shouldn't tell them to fuck off. You should just stop working with them. But yeah, I mean that's that's the answer. If somebody is is verbally abusive to you and making you feel bad because they're an asshole. You should just stop working with them. Yeah, and, and sometimes it takes a while to recognize that. And I guess I would say I've had really bad situations because uh, let's see, I worked with a band uh, for a long time who was they basically just like made fun of me all the time and gave me a hard time. And that's a pretty normal thing to do to people that you tour with because they're like brothers and sisters. But it got to be a point where I learned multiple things. I learned what it's like to be what my anxiety is because I didn't understand that for a long time. And I learned what it's like to be kind of disrespected and not respected at all. And it took me a long time to, and I consider them abusive relationships to be quite honest, because I would be with these people, living with these people, and they just treated me like I didn't, wasn't worth anything. And it was shown through their actions and how they talked to me to other people. And then I, it, it took me seeing what it's like to have somebody to work with that's really good to understand what that was like. And I always say that one of the best people, and with this isn't me name dropping, this is just saying what it's like to work with somebody who really cares about what you do. And honestly, it was Diplo. I met Diplo in like 2013, 2014. And I work with him very personally when I do work with him because he's very hands-on with what he does. And I remember the first time I met him, he came up to me and he was like, hey man, I think you're just too famous to work with me. And I was like, what does that mean coming from you First of all, are you trying to mess with my ego because I don't need somebody like right. telling me this so that I feel really cool and then or whatever like what is going on? And it stuck with me for so long and I was like, why is he telling me that? He has a real understanding of people's values. I didn't know what he was talking about back then, but he knew or he saw that I really like to make art and I really like to tour and I really like to spend a lot of time on stuff. And what he wanted was somebody to just create content. And he kind of differentiated mm-hmm. those things before I could even understand or differentiate them myself. And I learned a lot from him. And then he had like a a respect and a way of like working with me where he was always introducing me as this 
he was like, honestly, when he would talk about me, I was like, dude, why are you lying to these people? Why are you building me up? <laughs> why are you building me up into this thing? But he always made sure that he would introduce me as like this, this artist, this person, this equal, this person he was working with. And I'm sure they're rather, I don't know if he knows he's doing these things or if he's just so good at what he does that that's just how he is. But it really made the difference to be working with somebody who also represented you as somebody they're so proud to be working with themselves. And going with him and seeing that and seeing the way it worked with, I really felt and realized what it was like to be respected as an artist, as an individual, and to be worked with in a way that I wanted to work with other people like that too. Because I'd come from this world where I was used to like working for 20 hours a day, not getting any thank yous, not being respected all the time, kind of, you know, sleep in the back of the bus. Like I was used to putting in my time, grinding my way out because that's how Warp Tour is. And that's how that kind of scene is. But it was nice to kind of be valued. And I'm always, I don't know, nervous to tell the story where he says like, you're too famous to work with me because I don't feel that way about myself. I don't feel cocky. I don't have any ego when it comes to that. But I just like, it takes a lot to kind of, I don't know, he just really helped me out in a lot of ways that I don't even know if he realized he did. So I hope that didn't come off in any well, bad way there. But that's it just meant a lot. No, to I want to I want to understand that, because if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, fuck you, dude. Like, what? Is, what the fuck is that supposed yeah. to mean? But I mean, obviously, you have a super positive opinion. So there's there's something that he was getting at there. And I, I don't think I quite understand. Is it like he was he recognized that you at your core are an artist rather than like a documentarian like a or a camera operator i guess because to me that's what a lot of the content creator type photographer role is 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 like a camera operator which is not a bad thing uh is is that what he's recognizing or yeah it took me a few years and maybe maybe i'm maybe i'm making all this up but what he said and you know i'm being really careful about how i say this because i don't have any feeling of a being better than somebody who wants to do tour photography and B, I don't have any bad feelings about somebody who's good at that. Like, I just think that there are skills that I lack in and my goals don't align with them as much. It's just important to understand what what you're good at and what your nature is, because it would be stupid for you to put yourself in that situation because you wouldn't do you would suck at it. And and those people would suck at what you do. So it's important just to understand what your strengths are and put yourself in situations where they work in your favor. Yeah. And I would explain it like this. When I go to a concert, I really try my best to make like one really good image. And that doesn't really work for somebody who's creating content. You need to make like 10 to 20 images a day at least. And when I shoot, I spend a lot of time doing one thing and that is not viable in being a content creator in this day and age. But the point when we were talking about this, I didn't really realize that that is what the career was becoming because keep in mind, I'm kind of going from being somebody who's out on the road, learning to what it is to create content because it wasn't even really a thing at the time when we were talking about this. So he was looking for somebody to kind of dish out images, do this constant kind of grind. And I was shooting in a totally different way. And I didn't even understand that, if that makes sense. So he kind of looked at me, he's like, what are you doing? Like, why? Like, we should be doing like, basically with him now, I want to work with him and do like portrait shoots and do like stuff that we spend a lot more time on and create something with rather than, you know, like he'll, he'll take me out for like short stints. So we'll do like, you know, Pakistan and some other crazy stuff and we'll create a few con images that time. But I never shoot video. I never do any of that stuff. And there's people who are really good at this. And even now at this point in our conversation, I still feel like I hope I didn't come off in the wrong way because I have no ego or whatsoever. But I just, I mean, I appreciate you clarifying because. No, no. That, so, so he's just saying, I want to work with you, but this is not the right way to work for us to work together. Correct. That's just his way of saying it. And I think like if I were to look back at an email, he's like, yo, I need somebody who's like young, prepared to not sleep and can basically double as just like doing everything on the road. And so he was just looking for somebody else who wasn't me. And it took me a little bit to come to terms. It's like, he's not firing you. You just aren't doing this job anymore. And it took me a lot of time to come to terms with that as well. You know, I like being on the road. I like doing that stuff. But the way I like to shoot and what I like to do is, you know, like, like we talked about earlier, I can't get mad at the way that everything's going. That doesn't make sense. You know, like another, another route for me to take would be like, this is stupid. You know, people should be making one photo a day and putting a really good photo on Instagram, they shouldn't be making 20 images a day. But that's not how I feel. I feel like that's the right thing to do. If that's what it calls for, if that's what's happening, that's awesome. Go with that. And then me, myself, I just need to check myself and figure out, okay, if that's not what I'm shooting, if that's not what I'm creating, then I need to navigate to a world where I can do what I'm good at. And so that's kind of 
that's kind of what I took from that. Well, that said, uh, so I'm, I'm running a little bit short on time, but I do want to actually ask you a very specific kind of tactical question about what you just said. Yeah. So as this job of like, you know, traveling content machine has become so common, I've seen a lot of bands now have a, whether it's a band account or or band members personal accounts which are full of very nice looking you know live shots a different one every day and it means nothing to me like it's so well done but i'm just like i look through your feed and it's like 90 days of just the same fucking thing you jumping with your guitar and it's super well shot and I, and the engagement is not great either yeah, I don't uh, so know what don't people think, are doing. I think it's not just me. Um, do you feel like this role, like what's what's next for that role or has, is it changing? What are your thoughts on that? I think the bands, I think bands specifically had some catching up to do. I think that, that I don't think it makes, I'm not quite sure why people do that, to be honest. Like I get why I do that. I'm a photographer, like I'm posting my work. I yeah. don't know why bands do that or if they're just doing that because that's what they're told to be doing. But you're right. I don't think people care. Like I get posting a crowd shot at like a festival where it's like, look at this massive festival we took. Because it's special. Yeah, in my opinion, you should be, you know, I think like going back to the the emo rappers or the people who are like self-made everything, like I think they do it right. Like they post stuff that they think A, looks cool, that they shot themselves or things they do in their daily lives. Like they're connecting with their fans through their images. And if you're going to have a photographer out to help you do that, then make sure that, like I always told the artist, especially like when I remember when I was starting, I was honestly coaching art musicians how to do this. I was like, just use my photos as supplemental. Even it like, like don't like you should be like, this is when selfies were just the word just got coined even. And you know, like I was like, put in your own photos. Like those are going to do better than my photos ever will. My photos are just to convey. This is how I look when I'm on stage and it's a good looking shot of me. We played this show tonight and then make sure your caption thanks them. Like, I agree with you. I think that they're doing it wrong. I think they're doing it very, very wrong. I think uh, I think Bring Me the Horizon does it right. That band is very good at it. Um, they post like really weird looking shit and they use it as an extension of their branding and imaging. I think they do a very good job of it. Um, I think that the people who run their, all their stuff, but I, I do think that bands do it wrong in posting like random photos of them live over and over and you're right it is it's it's boring thanks pittsburgh great show yeah like i okay if it means you know you're better off posting like a photo of you with fans or a photo of you with you know i don't know what you i don't know what they need to post they need to get a little more creative and not just go through the motions in my opinion do you know who the rapper shinigami is yeah i do know him if you think he's here what's his name gianni he's here right now yeah oh okay i am obsessed with his instagram because <laughs> It it's so good. It's I don't know if you've seen it, but look at it. It'll be like a picture of him at a bus stop playing Game Boy Advance, and it looks like it was shot on an iPhone five. Yes, and not in a not in a cool way. It just looks like shit, but it's perfect. And his engagement is fucking insane. And, he, and dude, on, I've hung out with him a few times here, or hung out with those people here because they're all kind of in the same group. Not very much. I'm very. I just know like Fatsy, him, and. 93 feet yeah they're all just like i remember trying to photograph them and them being like nah just get a fit photo of me and i was like oh all you want is like a full okay and then i like for me like i i really have to tap into doing exactly what like for me like they don't need my portraits they don't want them like i don't know what they'll use them for but they just want like little they do all their own thing or like i think gasper was here one time as well and it was so it was like i had to learn how to work with these people because they almost want like I have to try less if I'm going to shoot for them. And honestly, I don't even think they need me. Like their way of shooting is just like, this is what I did today. Check it out. And it's so much more accessible, right? They're not like separating themselves. They're just making themselves one of their fans. And the, the people can relate to that. So I think it's great. Yeah, I love it. It's just like, that's who he is. He's like a dude that plays Game Boy Advance and is super into like, I don't know, playing GameCube in a flame shirt. Like this is perfect. It's you authentic, know? It tells the right? story. Yeah, and it captures the moment. And I, I think uh, that's, uh, to me, that is the essence of, that's good photography, you know? Like, it's technically horrid, but Who cares? it's good photography. Yeah, it's good photography because it conveys an emotion and a moment and tells a story. And so that, to me, makes it great photography. It, remi it reminds me of, like, every time you look at, like, those old photos of the Beatles or whatever, I don't know, uh, Elton John at, like, these big venues, and nobody's ever, like, 
look at all the noise. <laughs> right. <laughs> look right. at all the oh, great. The highlights are all blown out. Yeah, it's like nobody cares. Look at the moment. Like <laughs> people just don't it, a good moment trumps anything. It can be out of focus. If it's a good moment, it does not matter. And I agree with you. Like that is where people should be looking for. Well, speaking of which, I'll leave you with one last thing. Uh, so I worked for Abercrombie and Fitch for four years uh, doing design and marketing. And so I specifically worked on the photo team. So all the stuff that Bruce Weber did, which for anybody who is listening is a very, very, very famous like fashion photographer in the 80s and 90s, like one of the very most famous. And and so I would actually get the scans of him as his images uh, from the shoots and they were technically cool. horrible like out of focus blown the fuck out like they were awful on a technical level but obviously it totally worked because his images were the face of that brand when it was the biggest thing on the fucking planet for 10 years yeah i know what you're talking i'm just picturing like and i was like images i thought it was i thought it was bad printing but then i got the actual scans i was like really yeah this is what we paid bruce weber like x millions of dollars for Okay, but it totally worked. So anyway, uh, we could talk about this shit forever, uh, but I'm sure we both have other stuff to do. So thank you very much for joining me. Really excited to have this conversation. And uh, anything in particular you want to plug before we let everybody go? I don't know. If you're interested in photography or just a good community, come to my Twitter and it's pretty much all accessible from there or my website, adamlmacias.com. But more than anything, I hope that they enjoyed our conversation and I enjoyed your conversation a lot. Thank you for having me. This is cool. Awesome. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.